0: Welcome to the CKNW Weekend Morning Show podcast. I'm your Saturday host, Sterling Fox, and today, Craig Hirota from the Canadian Car Rental Operators Association tells us why there are so few rental cars available this summer and what to expect to pay if indeed we're able to find one. Insolvency trustee Taj Rajan talks about why so many Canadian seniors are postponing retirement and staying in the workforce. And Portland State Sports Management Professor Marvin Washington looks at sport washing the practice of countries with terrible reputations who try to look better by hosting big sports events so let's get started Sterling Fox with you on this first weekend of summer and it's a great time to have Craig Hirota join us from Milton, Ontario. Mr. Hirota is uh, going to talk to us about rental cars. He is the Vice President of Government Relations and Member Services at the Associated Canadian Car Rental Operators. The perfect person to have on the show. Craig Hirota, good morning and welcome.
1: Good morning, Sterling.
0: Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you with us. And of course, it's the first big weekend of summer, Craig, and a lot of people planning summer vacations. And a lot of those summer vacations involve a rental car. And the buzz across Canada, gee, pretty much around the world this summer, everywhere is, where the heck are all the rental cars? It's a chore to find one. And when you do, it's going to cost you through the nose. What's the story behind all this, Craig, please?
1: Yeah, so it really comes down to vehicle supply, uh, not not enough of them. Not enough new vehicles, and as a result, our industry has not been able to resupply our fleet uh, that we had to cut uh, during the pandemic when when you know customers, along with mo- you know most of our, our employees, had to, had to stay at home. So as we've started to see some pandemic recovery, you know we started to see it domestically within Canada last spring and summer, and now we're starting to see not only full domestic recovery, but also we're starting to see, you know, the, the beginnings of inbound travel. Um, we're, we're still challenged trying to find enough new vehicles to to build our fleets back up to the levels we would normally have them in the uh, spring and summer period.
0: So Craig, just back me up a little bit, if you can here, please, because of course, we all know what happened during the lockdown. Nothing. Everybody was f- confined to quarters. And, and, and in the rental car business, recognizing this Absolute lack of demand. Uh, you're talking about uh, reducing the fleets. Did you, in fact, sell off the fleets, or did you just park them? Uh,
1: we had to sell off quite a bit. Um, you know, they, they're a depreciating asset, and they they do cost us money. And we're, if we're not bringing in any revenue by renting them, they're they're a dead weight on operations. Sure. Uh, and and you know, it was pretty well publicized. You know, one of the major brands in our industry um, wasn't able to to survive that downturn, had to file bankruptcy and restructure. So. So, yeah, a large percentage of those vehicles, stuff, you know, perhaps 30 to 40 percent of the vehicles uh, were sold off. And, and uh, you know, they they went back into the used car market, which was, you know, which was and is still in very high demand because people can't get new cars. So. So, yeah, we're, we were building back from probably a 30 to 40 percent deficit. And we may in Canada still be, you know, as a whole 10 to 15 percent back of where we need to be.
0: Uh, Yeah, uh, I I, I was going to ask you about that because, of course, therein lies the problem. It's getting a new car. For example, if you see a car commercial on television these days, Craig, it doesn't say necessarily dash off to your local dealer and buy one today. It says order yours today, which implies what everyone knows. You can't go buy a car, typically. If you want a custom car, as, as in other words, built the way you like it, with all your particulars in it, it's going to take you up to a year in many models and makes cases. Uh, you're looking, I would imagine, in the rental car industry, at more basic forms of transportation, but still, the able to, the ability of the companies to produce said vehicles is, is uh, and, uh, also uh, compounded by the chip shortage. The, cha- the supply chain is also gumming up the works, isn't it, Craig?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Sterling. You know, uh, the types of vehicles that, that have been made available to our industry um, since the pandemic are are basically retail models. Um, you know, the, the manufacturers have sort of preferentially uh, um, prioritized production for, you know, what we've seen in the media, they consider their, their higher margin models. Uh, and, you know, over the previous, you know, few number of years, our industry has also, you know, changed quite a bit. You know, you don't see so much of the, you know, the the stereotypical rental car stripper type models, um, because our industry, you know, realized a number of years ago that whatever vehicle we bought, we still had to sell, so we mm-hmm. had to retain value. So we've done a much better job of contenting our vehicles with the type of features most people would buy in their own vehicle. But this pandemic has really to a large extent forced our hand. We've got to buy whatever the manufacturer makes available to us. And, uh, you know, people might have seen that the, you know, the various reports saying the average cost of a new car in Canada now is somewhere north of $50,000. That's right. Canadian. Um, our industry typically would normally enjoy, you know, a reasonable fleet discount because we buy in quantity, we buy in advance, and we, we, we help the uh, the manufacturers plan out the production. Sure. We, we provide a source of used cars for the market. Um Well, we haven't been able to fill that role because there aren't enough cars. So we're basically buying at retail prices as well when we can get them.
0: So, Craig, let's talk a little bit about those summer plans here on this first summer weekend in Canada. If I am, in fact, going somewhere else in the country and part of my needs when I arrive is going to be a rental car, how about some tips from the Canadian car rental operators about securing one in advance or at least standing a decent chance of finding one?
1: Well, in in a lot of parts of the country, you can still find cars. It will be harder to find, and they will they will definitely be uh, uh, at a higher price than you might have been used to seeing. Some parts of the country that are traditionally very uh, very peaky in terms of demand, you, it will be very very difficult, if not impossible, in some cases, to find a vehicle. Mm. You know, I'm talking about you know certain Atlantic province destinations potentially some you know resort destinations uh in, in you know in the west but uh, for the most part there are cars out there they they're just not as uh many sitting around you know the industry would typically operate at an average utilization of you know 80 85% you know potentially going higher during real peak weekends but um but right now i would imagine we're probably you know a couple percentage points higher than that and the other thing that, that it is causing a problem, and this is this is something everyone is probably noticing, is uh, the supply chain issue is not just affecting production of vehicles; it's also affecting repairs. Um, so, if your car goes out of service, uh, depending on what part you need, you know, a two or three day repair may now take two or three weeks, yeah. depending on when that part's coming in. So, so you know, our industry, along with everybody else that owns a vehicle, is also struggling with with significantly increased downtime, which which also affects our utilization. When you know, if you've got an extra one or two percent of vehicles sitting that that need to be fixed, that's one or two percent of cars we can't rent to the customer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Craig, almost out of time here. So the takeaway from our chat this morning would be, yes, there are cars available, but if you know where you're going and when, try and make those arrangements now as far in advance as possible and be prepared to pay more. That's a guarantee, right?
1: Yes. and, And once you've got that reservation, keep checking because utilization can change on a daily basis depending on where you're going. And you may find a better deal, or a better car, or a better location, um, closer to your trip. As long, you know, once you've once you've secured that reservation, just keep checking to see if you can you can improve upon that based on how the local conditions may be changing there.
0: All right, that's a good tip, Craig Hirota. Thanks very much for this. We do appreciate the information. It helps to understand what's going on out there in the summer of twenty two. Do appreciate your joining us. Thanks, Craig. Thank you, Sterling. saw a headline in the paper the other day that said this. Canadians are giving up on retiring anytime soon as inflation soars. This refers to a new survey from the folks at Bromwich and Smith and Advisor Savvy, in which, uh, say, findings like this occur. 62% of Canadians fear they'll never have enough money to retire. And 71% of people surveyed are afraid they'll run out of money if they do retire. So let's talk a little bit, of, first of all, about the survey. Survey and the findings. Joining us from Bromwich and Smith is Taz Rajan, uh, joining us from Calgary to talk more about the the findings of the survey. Taz, good morning and welcome to the show.
2: Oh, good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Happy Saturday.
0: Well, the same to you, and it's the first one of summer. Boy, you've had kind of the same kind of summer in Calgary. We have it, or spring, rather, in Calgary. We have in Vancouver, long and cool. So finally, this summer, this weekend, a little warmth in Vancouver. Hopefully, we can share some of that with you in Calgary over the weekend as well. Tell us a little bit more about the survey. How recent is it, Taz?
2: Yes. So we put the survey out just actually June 16th and we partnered with Advisor Savvy because both Advisor Savvy and Bromwich and Smith, you know, whether it's on, you know, personally with our clients or sort of on that macroeconomic level, Mm -hmm. we started to see and hear challenges related to retirement for, you know, older Canadians.
0: And uh, the, and I suppose you also have to couple this with the realities that all Canadians are facing these days, Taz, and that's an inflation of 7.7%, close to 8%, the highest in close to 40 years. Uh, and, of course, housing costs that are through the roof in major markets like Calgary and Vancouver and Toronto, uh, very intimidating realities these days for a lot of Canadians, especially older Canadians.
2: Yeah, you bet. When you look at, you know... Two years I, I know we're post COVID now, but there was that two years we had of COVID. We've got older people, you know, supporting their adult children, cost of living, inflation as you talked about, and then also mounting debt is another factor.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the reluctance to retire. Uh, and I, I suppose in one sense, Taz, it's a good thing because once again, this weekend across Canada, there are quite literally hundreds of thousands of jobs begging to be filled. So mm-hmm. if, if while we're facing a labor shortage, square on, at least in our midst, we have a great number of experienced workers valuable to any employer who have decided to stick around a little bit that's not going to hurt the labor shortage a bit is it
2: yeah exactly and like you said experienced you know dedicated workforce there for sure that could be the silver lining
0: I suppose but on the other hand there are a lot of people who are going oh geez I guess I can't retire I guess I'm going to have to go back to the old salt mine like it or not and there's that too isn't it
2: Yeah, and that is the part that's, you know, that's concerning. I mean, only one in four said they're not retiring because they love their job too much. You know, uh, you've probably heard it. I've heard it many times where I'll see someone that clearly looks retirement age and you're like, how come you're still doing this? And You know, they'll sheepishly say, love this, but in reality, there are these underlying concerns, right, of not having saved enough money or having enough investments to sort of continue that lifestyle or, you know, being in this position where maybe you're helping your adult children or just COVID has taken a toll. So, you know, the debt has started to surmount and you're looking down the barrel going Oh, my goodness. Or, you know, for a lot of people, their investments have taken a huge hit. So maybe they had planned. They were all set to retire maybe in 2022 and looking at that portfolio going, That's not
0: going to sustain me. Taz, I wanted to ask you, just back up a couple of steps. The part about helping out the kids and a lot Mm. of parents right across Canada, the bank of mom and dad has contributed mightily to the stratospheric housing prices that we live with every day in Canada. Because, of course, that's if you have to find the money to get into the game, then you find it. Uh, So uh, how many parents are exposed to debt as a result of quite legitimately wanting to help out junior uh, and, and do the right thing, but in the sa- at, in the same era, at the same moment are also signing on to, to mortgage realities they perhaps mm-hmm. really didn 't anticipate
2: yeah, so in our survey you know twenty six percent so a quarter of Canadians are saying their retire their retirement you know plans have been delayed because their children still require financial support mm-hmm. so. It's a big chunk, and you sort of think about even that younger cohort, right? When you're looking at your 30-something, your 20-something, as you had said, if you look at some of these major metropolitan cities, such as Vancouver, where health, I mean, you blink and your health value's gone up, yep. right? Um, and now mortgage rates are going up. Now when you combine those two, home ownership for many, many young Canadians is starting to feel like a bit of a pipe dream, unless Bank of Mom and Dad are going to be around to help out. And if bank of mom and dad are helping out, that delays mom and dad's plans, absolutely.
0: And you've noticed that. You were able to say, that, for example, close to a quarter of Canadians have, by by virtue of voluntarily involving themselves in the financial affairs of their children, uh, are now in a position where they can't retire.
2: Exactly. And the other you know, nuance of that is, as a 30-something-year-old, when mom and dad's bank are helping you out, What's actually happening is that your financial wellness is actually being stilted, right? Because mom and dad are coming in to kind of save the day. So you're not really thinking about, hey, what are our debts looking like? What do we need to do with that? You know, where do we have an emergency fund? Do we have, because mom and dad are that at the moment. So, you know, you can kind of look maybe 20 years down the road or even 10 years down the road at what's going to potentially happen to that generation as well,
0: I'm curious about uh, the, in, in a family, for example, and I'm just, look, I'm probing for some of the findings that you've, you've uh, realized in this survey, Taz. And for example, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a family where both, the, both spouses were working people and both have now hit retirement age or approximately a retirement age, does your survey ask, for example, if both of you used to work, are you both going to be able to retire or have you collectively made the decision that yeah one of us gets to retire the other one's going to continue working to keep the cash flow up. Has, have, did you get across uh, any of those questions?
2: So not specifically that however again some of our respondents just just over 10 percent did say retirement is put on hold because I am taking care of my partner or spouse. So this could be you know a spouse maybe who's got a disability or a critical illness Um, or taking care of my spouse in terms of, I've got to be the bread earner because my spouse retired maybe a few years ago. So definitely seeing that. And, you know, that those, those, the disability, critical illness, you know, divorce, job loss. These are some of the things that really do derail Canadians in their financial plan. And, you know, these are people that we see all the time at Bromwich and Smith. It's not just, Hey, I'm lazy. I don't care. It's these external you know, situations that occur.
0: Tell us about Bromwich and Smith briefly, if you can, Taz, please. What do you do?
2: Oh, sure. We are licensed insolvency trustees. So we're federally regulated to help Canadians with, you know, debt forgiveness, actually. And of course, this was in conjunction with Advisor Savvy. Right. And so, you know, when we talk about, you know, mental health and well-being, financial health and well-being are completely tied in. And so, you know, we wanted to partner to, you know, bring to Canadians, bring to light for Canadians. Hey, if this is you, A, you're not alone. And B, if you're starting to feel that anxiety and thinking that you're going to have to put your retirement aside, let's get you talking to the right professionals in Canada. So when it comes to that financial planning, emergency fund, retirement, you want to be talking to those certified financial planners, and that's where Advisor Savvy comes in. And when it comes to that surmounting debt, whether it's because you're helping your children or, you know, some of those other factors we talked about, then you want to be talking to the right professionals in Canada, which are your licensed insolvency trustees. So it was really to help people, you know, when you're in those situations, you feel so isolated, you bet. so alone, mm-hmm. and you're not alone.
0: And, you know, the other thing that comes up is, again, back to your points about housing affordability realities for all Canadians of all uh, in every corner of the country. Uh, you know, it, it, it is said, and uh, for your comment, uh, it, it's, you know, it, it, uh, by hook or by crook, you can always find a place to live. You can't always find money when you need it that's the dilemma that's facing a lot of canadians particularly as they hover around that retirement cusp right
2: absolutely and so this is where you know we we want to say that yes you know you may not be able to find the money on your own It's not too late you know even if you are let's say 55 or older sit down, have that conversation, let's have a look at those numbers, let's see where we can find money. But you're right, by hook or crook, you can usually find a place to you know, rest your head. Sure, Finding that money can be a little bit more of a struggle, especially on your own.
0: Right, and, and again, there's no sense of loss of pride or face to come to terms with some very difficult financial realities in your life, and a conversation with, a, with a, an experienced professional, and generally those initial meetings don't cost very much, when would really uh, be a a solid piece of advice to someone kind of hovering on the edge of, of of a kind of a fragile situation
2: yes and we also need to be having these conversations at the dinner table that's another thing you know generally most of us sort of that middle upper middle class canadian this is not a conversation we're really having with our spouse or our children or around the family table so that's another opportunity certainly to speak to the professionals but having some productive and effective money conversations with our loved ones, it normalizes it. You know, once you start talking about somebody else, we'll be like, hey, you know, I'm struggling with that as well. Or, hey, we struggled with that and here's what we did. Right. And it can really ease that stress and help you start to put a plan in place.
0: Nothing wrong with talking about financial realities, especially when they're they're on' they're the subject of conversation at pretty much every dinner table in the country several times every week, correct
2: well, certainly, but you know are we are we actually having those conversations we We talk to a lot of you know millennials kind of going, mm, my parents didn't teach me how to use a credit card sure. or you know we didn't really talk about what our goals were as a family, when my parents are going to retire right so then. You know, I I was raised a little bit like that. Mom and dad, like the bank of mom and dad, it just seemed like, honestly, it was this unlimited water fountain, which... You know, I later found
0: out it wasn't. (laughs) The old money doesn't grow on trees thing. I remember having that line (laughs) thrown in my general direction several times a week. Taz Rajan, thanks very much for joining us this morning. It's an important survey. And uh, it's nice to know that, first of all, none of of those people in those circumstances are by any stretch alone. And there's a lot of us in the same pickle uh, dealing with retirement realities. Will we? Won't we? uh, And there are lots of professionals out there willing to help and give advice. Thanks very much for this. Great to have you on the show today.
2: You bet. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day.
0: You too. Uh, One of the controversies in the sports world this summer is the split in the golf world. There's now a new golf league, if you will, called Live, uh, and it's uh, backed by Saudi Arabia. This is uh, pointed uh, by many as being the most recent example of sports washing. Here to talk about sports washing, it's always a pleasure to welcome this character to our program, too. From Portland State University, where he is a professor of management and sports, is Professor Marvin Washington. Marvin, good morning. Welcome back. Good morning. Thanks for having me again. Always a treat to have you with us, Marvin. Sports washing. I found a definition. I'm going to roll it out on the radio for your comment, okay? Here's what I found. Uh, Sports washing relates to the concept of sport with all the good feeling it inspires used as a tool for diverting attention from social or environmental problems. Sports washing relates to the concept of soft power, which means exerting influence by attracting rather than coercing others think diplomacy instead of military invention uh, intervention rather Uh, you agree with that a a a tool for diverting attention from from problems that everyone knows the country has
3: Uh, totally the idea really does as many people have sort of uh, written and talked about this it goes back to the 36 olympics hosted by germany And so you can imagine that there is a dominant conversation that's been happening about Germany and what they stand for and what's happening in the 30s over in Europe. Mm -hmm. And so I need something to sort of recenter the conversation. I need something to sort of say, hey, you think one way, but that may not square or match with other images. The one way to do that is to come out and argue your side Well, no one's going to listen to your side. Mm So a more subtle way to do it is to connect with something that we don't argue with. Sports becomes that. right? We all are okay with seeing athletes compete, uh, participate, enjoy the love of the sport. And if I can subtly connect to that, how do I subtly do that? I host a sporting event. right? And, and so now the images that you will see, the non-competition images, is of my gorgeous city. Is of me playing a wonderful host. Uh, In the long run, we think that might slowly move the opinion or it may slowly, you know, in some sense, recenter the conversation away from the obvious bads and atrocities that you associate me with. And so that's where you start seeing countries often that are embattled or embroiled in these uh, uh, negative portrayals from their side of the coin. Right. So I think you are unjustly portraying me. I'm associated with this sport and over time, maybe you won't think of me as bad as you currently think about
0: me. And so it's Hitler fascinating held... It, strategy. That's right. Know. He had the 1936 Olympics in Berlin, three years before yeah. World War II. His regime yep. was already clearly established. Everyone knew what he was up to. But mm-hmm. you host mm-hmm. an Olympics, and suddenly you're looking pretty legitimate in the eyes of the world as the host nation. That you was 1936, Marvin. China did it yes. last year.
3: Yes, yes. Well, China, Russia... Uh, people think about Saudis, Qatar hosting, you know, these World, Cup. uh, World Cups or Olympics. So as a strategy, it's one that people have uh, have commented on. And maybe it's not the big event, but maybe it's uh, an, a a sport, or speed racing event, NASCAR or FIFA or or something like that, if you will. Because in a sense, those events need countries to host them. Yep. And so you, the country. You pay enough money, you put, it, put together enough of a bid package, you'll get the right to host the games in this international space.
0: You know, it also does add to global <laughs> cynicism, Marvin, about groups like the International Olympic yep. Committee, which bestow yep. legitimacy yep. on these host countries for, of, yeah. in exchange for mega, mega billions of dollars, yeah. of course. But, you know, uh, it, it's no wonder, frankly, that a lot of humans are a little turned off the Olympics and those massive international sporting events because of the way they've been, manipu- been manipulated... By host countries,
3: it is such a uh, a no-win situation, and what I mean by that is you have to start with the demands on what it would take to host an event like that, and so unfortunately, we live in a world where there are lots of people that's going to target an event like that for evil. Sure, and so the demands from the from the IOC, if you will, is that if you're going to host this, you have to be prepared to invest a lot of resources to have the games go off. Well, that already turns off lots of countries because they don't want to make the investment. Mm -hmm. They don't want to do the multiple years of engagement to make sure it goes off well. So then it sort of leaves you with, well, what kind of country is going to bid for the Olympics? The kind of country that wants to make the investment, and now the question is for what reason you want to make the investment. So then no surprise you end up with Russia Russia Saudi Arabia, China, uh, countries like that, that are only invested in hosting because they have something to gain from hosting. Because we now know the tourism is not the big draw. Yeah, I mean, That used to be the draw that we used to talk about in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. But Sarajevo is a good example of that, that you don't get the tourism post the Olympics that you think you're going to get post the Olympics. So then why do you get invested in it? Mm-hmm. Well, because you're looking to repair your reputation, You're looking to say you're on the world stage. Uh, Some people think the Saudi Arabians are trying to say maybe we're the Vegas of the world, host all your events here. Because although you may not agree what we stand for, we can do a great game. We can do a great event. Right. And so you'll start saying, oh, okay, I don't necessarily agree with what they stand for, but they have enough money and enough resources to put on a great event.
0: Well, no question and, about it. And Saudi Arabia, of course, is the is the player uh, that we're talking yes. about this morning because of this competitive or yep. rival golf league. Mm-hmm. Did it surprise you at all, Marvin, mm-hmm. the speed at which many prominent, big-name American golfers jumped at the chance to join this new Saudi league?
3: And, and not no, and the reason why not is because the money is just so... So over the top right and that's usually what holds a- athletes back from jumping ship and so you take the nba you take the major league baseball you take the nfl and so the nfl have had a lot of alternative leagues to come out mm-hmm. yep no alternative league is giving three x what the nfl can pay so there's so if you start with i am a golfer i have to not only play in this tournament I didn't have to win the tournament to make three million dollars.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: All of a sudden here comes the Live Tour and they're saying, If you just show up, I'll give you fifty million dollars. Fifty versus three is mm-hmm. life changing money. Fifty versus three is is generational changing money for that golfer. Because that golfer may not actually win the tournament, but they still get paid tons of money. Right. That's the game changer.
0: And so the, now, that, the question
3: and... is, how long is that gonna last? Well, the Saudis have deep pockets. If it was you or I, we could pay that for about a year, XFL. Mm -hmm. We could pay that for about a year, all the challengers to what's happened football recently or basketball recently. Saudis can pay that for a while.
0: And because of their ability to sustain indefinitely the the bankrolling of this new league, do you think Mm -hmm. it's going to last, Marvin? Or is this kind of an anomaly that makes some golfers really wealthy but also really, Mm -hmm. well, kind of icky in the minds of of a lot of their peers? Uh, So I wonder about lifespan or longevity with this.
3: And this is the mystery, right? Because if I can take a half a step back, we've seen this before on a much smaller scale, and it didn't work. And it's a, it's an example that people probably don't remember, the World Poker Tour. Okay. And so you've got to go back to the beginning of poker on TV. Poker on TV was just a crazy idea, but it worked because we could see the hold cards. So now I'm watching people and I have all of these superstars, Phil Ivey, Daniel Negreanu. We know these names. Well, what happened overnight? Other poker players got involved, and those poker players were no longer winning tournaments. So what did they say? But we're the draw. We're the reason why you're watching, right. we should have a league where we get paid in appearance. Sounds familiar to the Live Tour. Mm-hmm. Well, what did, what did fans realize? I don't care who's winning. I just want to see somebody win. Well, once that happens, I'm not watching the PGA to see Dustin Johnson. I'm watching the PGA because I know they have great golfers. Right. Well, if the PGA can put on a tournament without Dustin Johnson, then why would I ever pay Dustin Johnson just to be at the tournament? That's what the live tour is struggling with. They're thinking that I'm only watching golf because of the superstar players, but they're only superstars because they're winning the tournament.
0: It was interesting. I
3: don't know if the PGA needs them. Yeah, last in order week to put a tournament on
0: at the U.S. Open, a couple of the players yeah. from the Live Turner, I, yeah. I think the, the best they did was somebody who came in thirteenth. I was the closest exactly. to the top. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I said, th- I guess I, Marvin, uh, we're almost out of time, but I guess mm-hmm. the thing that that I find uh, most um, uh, uncomfortable about all of this is how transparent it all is. Phil Mickelson, yeah. of course, has handled all of the questions and all the rest of it very sure. badly. One of many, sure. but I suppose there's a, there's a, a, despite the enormous sums of money involved i don't think there are many people watching who don't completely understand that these guys are fronting for the saudis they're helping the saudis to whitewash their reputation and nobody is capable of doing that because we know what bad people the saudis are
3: yeah and i think and that's why it's not going to be so successful Uh because because the only argument you have to why you're in this tournament is because of taking the money And then the question is, who are you taking it from? I'm taking it from the Saudis. That's too straight line of an argument to you being a bad person. You can't sort of obfuscate that. You can't make that a much more nuanced, complicated argument than the PGA Tour, U.S. soil is going to basically only pay me money if I win.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. I'm taking money from the Saudis just to show up. That might work in a one-tournament thing that happens once a year. But the PGA Tour, now other tournaments, I think it's the Scottish yeah, Open right, yeah. that's now saying, hey, you can't play in our tournament. They're making this really good good guy, bad guy. They're making this a moral story. Are you in golf for the sport and the love of the game, or are you in golf to take money from whoever's going to pay from you?
1: Interesting. I think
3: the that argument that you're only in golf for the money and you don't care who's giving you the money, that's a tough one to overcome. And I think that's not going to work. I think uh, uh, I'm in Portland. We have the next tournament. So the next tournament on the live tour is in Portland next weekend. People are already talking about boycott the tournament. People are already talking about boycott the golf course. So I think that that money from the Saudis may work, but the tournament, the tournament host who's actually putting on the golf tournament, they're going to realize this wasn't worth it for us. Interesting. The media attention was so negative that this one tournament actually made people less a fan of us than a fan of us, we're not going to host the next tournament.
0: Wow. Interesting stuff. We'll keep an eye on that tournament next weekend. Marvin Washington, always a pleasure. We do appreciate it when you get up early on the weekends to jump in with us. It's always a treat to have you with us, and you do provide a degree of clarity on some of this stuff that's always welcome. Thanks. Uh, Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Marvin Washington is a professor of management and sports at Portland State University. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen to us live, 6 to 9, weekend mornings. I'm Sterling Fox. Have a great week.